Welcome to the Film Hole Podcast once again. I'm Trevor. And I'm Raul. I'm the guy who makes films. I'm the guy that does science. Every week we watch a movie. And then we talk about it. And this week we watch... The drumroll... Juno. Juno. 2007. 2007. Whoa! How do we do that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's like you're reading my mind. Wow. It's like we're finishing each other's... Sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> that's What's gross that? What's that? I don't, I don't want your sandwich Is that from something? I think so Okay So Juno uh, Probably a movie that a lot of people who are listening to this are already pretty familiar with You know It's kind of a big movie I feel like a lot of what we've like watched up until this point Were like in one way or another kind of niche Right? Like aside, so. from, aside from maybe like Tiger King You know yeah, it's like a big, yeah. big like pop culture thing. But yeah, all all of our other movies, we've I felt the need to explain them a little bit more, and I feel like a lot of people will just kind of know what this movie is about. Yeah, people know Juno. Yeah, uh, who directed this movie? I don't know. Uh, Jason Reitman, known for Up in the Air and Tully. Okay, so. I know, I know Up in the Air. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's directing Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is like the new Ghostbusters movie. Huh. And he also did the original Ghostbusters. At least his name is associated with it. <laughs> it's weird that like that wouldn't come up first. He seems yeah. too young. He seems too young to like have directed that. Huh. Acting credits. He was in he was in Ghostbusters too. That's interesting. So what'd you think of the movie? Have you seen this movie before? I have never seen this movie before. And I know that this is a large like this is a big deal, like when it came out, I guess. Maybe not a big deal, but like a well-known movie, you know, like a lot of people saw it. Uh-huh. In my mind, this like kind of exists in sort of the late 2000s, like Michael Sarah, Jonah Hill, Ellen Page boom of like kind of indie comedies. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like what Absolutely. I just said? Okay. Because this is something I was trying to describe to, to Grace, where it's like there was this period where it's just like a lot of kind of indie comedies with these people were coming out. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, like, really latched on to them. What's some other, like, um, examples just to kind of round like, out? Like, Super Bad would be, like, the obvious, like, next one. Nick and Nora. Uh, Scott Pilgrim came out a few years later, yeah. although, like, I still feel it's very similar. There's, like, a chick in Scott Pilgrim, the drummer, uh-huh. who... That actress looks like Ellen Page if she was, like, born a ginger. <laughs> they look and sound very similar. And I was actually, I actually thought that they were, were the same person, like, when uh-huh. I was younger. You know, part of this, like, I don't know what to call it, like, this cultural movement of, like, these kinds of comedies, these particular actors. And also, mm-hmm. like, there's, like, a huge music scene that goes along with it, right? Like, the soundtrack from this film has a lot of this kind of, I don't even know what to call it. Like childish sounding indie folk. Yeah. Like childish and like completely like not mean Yeah. I do know what you're saying. Did you ever come see, did you watch Girl Pool when they came to Lawrence? Girl Pool? They're a band that sings just like, like the bands they sample in the movie. Okay. So yeah, maybe just like a quick synopsis for like the, the one person listening to our podcast who doesn't know what Juno is. So Juno is a the title of the movie, and the titular character, 
Juno is a 16-year-old high school student who finds out that she is pregnant with Michael Sarah's baby. And Michael Sarah mm-hmm. is regular old Michael Sarah in this movie. So there's kind of like a juxtaposition there. It's like funny right off the bat inherently because it's like these kind of two like counterculture like dorks who like get pregnant, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like Michael Sarah is actually like a really stand-up guy in this movie. But anyways, it's about... Some of the real world things that come with getting pregnant when you're a teenager and and in high school. So like there's moments where it gets very dark. But like I said earlier, it does kind of fit into this indie comedy uh, category from like the late 2000s. So it's definitely like full of lightheartedness as much as you can be in like a movie about getting pregnant when you're 16. Ellen Page's character, I think, is written and played to be like very funny, like to primarily be funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it kind of it straddles some like real world topics and actually uh, and it just be kind of a fun, entertaining piece of comedy. And then it's interesting to say that Ellen Page comes off as funny in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's like she's overtly funny in the way that comedic actors are in movies. Mm-hmm. It's just that she plays like a total straight person, not exaggerated in any way, but her actual personality is very exaggerated and quirky. And she's right. just very clever and says amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what to liken it to off the top of my head, but I definitely have seen that character before, like in other movies, right? What about in real life? Someone who's just like really quippy and cool all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know anybody like that? No. I think it's partially also because these people are from like Northeast U.S., and that's uh-huh. a group of people that I just haven't really had much time with at all. Mm. Yeah. Those and they have their own way of talking. And... <laughs> You're describing it like it's a different country. I mean, a little bit. It's just like, and this is something that I picked up on the first time I watched it. Hmm. I was just like looking at these characters and I'm like, they're just a little bit different than what I'm used to. You know, West Coast to. Yeah, I get that. I kind of feel I I feel the same way when I see high school movies that really feature like hockey as like the main sport. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's like where we grew up, it's like the standard like high school experience is that like everybody plays football and like that's where like the jocks belong. Uh-huh. And like the cool people like play football. Basketball is also there, but not as as important as to like the ex- essential high school experience. Yeah, but but in some movies it's like hockey, like it's just that. But hockey, I get I get totally what you're saying, and I feel mm-hmm. dumb when I when I think this way because I'm just I realize like oh people have different experiences in different <laughs> places. Just to, like admitting like how close minded we are. About, yeah, about those experiences. Yeah, and it's a total like benign fact that like they have different sets of sports than we did growing up, but it's still kind of like. I think that only into like later on in my movie watching career, I started to associate those little details with like, oh, this says something about the region that it takes place in, Mm -hmm. but like not much else. You know, I think hockey is kind of like a Northern Midwestern, like big sport for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like I've hung out with some people from like Minnesota and Minneapolis and just like hockey. What was like the other sport? Hockey and like lacrosse. Like people were just like into those like kinds of sports. I don't know what to think about people that do winter sports. You don't know what to think I, about them? I haven't made up my mind one way or another. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm on the fence here. The jury's out on those those hockey people. Yeah. Hmm. 
All right, so that was a, that was a pretty good tangent, talking about regional sports. So this movie takes place in the on the East Coast, I believe. I believe it's uh, what do they say? We looked it up. Wisconsin, Washington, Wisconsin, or those are very different places. Yeah, and I forget I said anything, but it's definitely like in uh, sort of the Great Lakes area. Michigan is maybe what I was thinking of. Okay, then yeah. Although interestingly, it was filmed in Vancouver. That makes sense. Which is interesting to know because Ellen Page is Canadian, right? Ellen Page is Canadian. Michael Sarah's um, Michael Sarah is Canadian. Yep. Yeah. Maybe this is what we're talking about with like the this era of movies. It's like yeah. is the Canadian comedy boom. Also like, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen is Canadian also, and he kind of emerged around this same time. Yeah. Yeah. That we must be onto something here. It's the the Canadian Revolution. But it is like this little subculture that I feel like infiltrated more so in the Northeast than any other part of this continent. Mm-hmm. And even though we lived through that time, right, I, I don't feel like the kind of music that they were listening to at the time or the stuff that they were into were things that I was into at that age. Yeah. I so think... it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like I watch her life and her friends and where she's at. Uh-huh. And it just seems a little bit removed from what my experience was. Yeah. It, it honestly feels like a little bit like trickled down to our experience because like a lot of what happens in this movie, I'm like, oh, this is like 2007. Like I don't remember 2007 seeming this cool, you know? <laughs> so yeah, like what's uh, kind of the first notable scene for you in this movie? And really quick, you have seen this movie prior to this right i have seen it before um can't really when was the last time you saw it? uh i saw it maybe a year or two ago with stacy okay so recently yeah yeah okay because a lot of the discussion last night was about like the different ages in which people saw this movie oh yeah yeah that was a which, really nice discussion which was like a discussion i feel like unlike any movie that we've had or unlike any discussion we've had so far about any movie it was nice because so many of the people had the experience of watching the movie beforehand right and so almost everybody was able to give us their hot take of how their perspective has changed yeah and it seemed like the people who had only seen it you know once before that there was enough like distance between that viewing and the current one that it became much more significant in how they interpreted the film Uh uh-huh Grace saw it when she was 16. Like someone else, I think, uh, Justin said that he saw it when he was like 15. And how now seeing it as a 26, 7, and 8 year old, how uh, like you identify with different characters or like you notice things about different characters in a way that you didn't the first time that you saw this movie. So it really like, and I don't know, maybe all movies are like this, but like because of the ages we saw it in, like our interpretations were vastly different. Yeah, I mean, this movie in particular, because the characters are span like really young, like teenager to, you know, adults. Yeah. And so that is a time period that we have been shifting out of. Right. And gives you a little bit of perspective. Yeah. I think I kind of made this comment last night, but I feel like all the characters are so well written that it could be about like any one of them. The, the idea really tickled me about like... um Somebody mentioned, I forget who, but that the father character is actually like a very sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. He deals with it like very well. And that mm-hmm. you could very much imagine that an older person watches this movie 
and just locks in with the dad character totally. right away. Yeah. And then at the end, you like talk to them about the movie. It's like, yeah, the movie is really about like the dad and like the struggles <laughs> that the dad has and uh-huh. raising a family and just keeping a level head. Uh-huh. And that's like all they see. Right. Like, yeah, this is a story about just dads. just missed like a th- like two thirds of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of my point is that like the dad is like such even though he has limited screen time compared to other people jk simmons like character is just well portrayed both in the writing and in jk simmons performance Mm -hmm. that like he seems like a real character and it's it's obviously a character that you're sympathetic with and so it feels like the movie could be about him as much as it would be about anyone else and then Mm -hmm. i feel the same way about the adoption couple both of them really (laughs) yeah because they both have these pretty unique narratives that go with them but just the movie happens to be about juno like it happens to be about the 16 year old who gets pregnant and maybe that's just because that's the most like interesting or like relevant politically hot thing that you could talk about in a movie like getting pregnant when you're a teenager or maybe just like the most like transformative thing that happens to anybody in that movie I think, yeah i think it makes sense that it's like a movie from her perspective because i think like as the person that's getting pregnant and i had to go through all those choices she's like the obvious mm-hmm. i mean the, the movie does really revolve around her right sure even yeah. all the other characters they seem so real i mean it's obvious that they have like really rich personal lives uh-huh. within the movie mm-hmm. uh juno is ultimately the one that kind of is causing all of these events to unfold right so what was like the first uh, scene when we were watching it the other night that like really struck you? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about scenes. I really like the opening scene. The like the title sequence? I like the title sequence and I've got stuff to say about that. But what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Like the opening sequence like through the explanation of the sex scene and like I think that kind of ends with her sitting outside of Michael Sarah's house with the couch and telling him that she's pregnant yeah that's that's all like a, a few minutes i think pretty fast mm-hmm. but you just get so much of her personality through that very short time period yeah really really quick before we get too into like the scenes of the movie itself i want to talk about like memories of this movie and for me it's like you know i've never seen this movie before but i was very much aware of what it was and I saw, like, all the trailers for it somehow, like, multiple times. Like, it somehow, like, penetrated, like, my, like, pop culture bubble. And I was, like, I really remember all of the promotional material from this. And it's, like, maybe it's just, like, because they're iconic trailers. But, like, we talked about this last night, that part where she's, like, sorry, I'm on my hamburger phone. Like, that was, like, the biggest, like, punchline in, like, one of the trailers. I feel like her, like, Go Carol thing, like, in the front lawn was on a trailer. Definitely her slurping the Sunny D. The Sunny D, yeah. This movie is more complex than those, like, kind of throwaway jokes. And even think, like, those aren't even the funniest, like, moments in the movies, in the movie. But it feels like, you know, trailers are just, like, cut to, you know, promote things, like, get people excited about things, but can also be pretty misleading. Oh, man, I can talk all day about the way trailers are made. Mm Mm-hmm. There's another uh, movie that's actually on the list for us to watch, Greenberg. Okay. That when we get to it, I'll have you watch probably the movie first and then the trailer. But the trailer just like cuts all of the bits from the movie that are somewhat quippy. Okay. And somewhat clever and funny. 
mm-hmm. and then they put some light music over it and they put together a trailer that actually makes you think this is like a pretty funny movie hmm. but the movie itself is a completely different thing okay every single scene that they put in the trailer that was seemed lighthearted mm-hmm. was actually kind of like somber and depressing in the real movie mm-hmm. yeah i mean this isn't an uncommon thing with movies right i mean we talked a little bit about it with like horse girl and sort of the netflix formula for doing that but yeah i think we forget sometimes that like trailers are ads essentially yeah like they are they are ads to sell movies and so therefore they're gonna feel like ads in a certain way got a little bit of comedy in there a little bit of action cool music it's 30 seconds long like that's what an ad is i mean you'd be the expert right trevor you're going to dissect a trailer for your other podcast aren't you that's exactly what I'm going to do, actually. So, What's the name of that podcast again? For those of you who don't know, I'm on another podcast. So this is plug number one of two because I will plug be plugging this podcast next or tomorrow in the Good Lord Bird Companion Podcast, which, as you might be able to tell from its name, is a companion podcast for the show The Good Lord Bird, which is a Showtime show about john brown the abolitionist that we have a good connection to because i'm from lawrence kansas he passed through here john brown is kind of a iconic figure in this area some people credit him to like instigating the civil war anyways i'm on a podcast that talks all about him and this new showtime show and we're recording our first or our third episode and that's going to happen tomorrow and that's significant because we haven't recorded a podcast or an ep- a podcast episode since like early, like maybe late 20, 2019. Mm-hmm. Because we thought it was going to come out in February and it didn't. And then we thought it was going to come out in March and it didn't. And then COVID-19 happened. And so like no one knew what was going on at all. But they just released a trailer the other day. So yeah, tune in to Good Lord Bird Companion Podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. And back to Film Hall. All right, we're back. We're back here in the Film Hall. Why don't we say that? Why isn't that part of our like opening verbiage? I like that. If we had more bit places. Yeah, like the Film Hall is like a place in space. And we can talk about it as such. Let, let's put it into our intro script. Here we are in the film hole. Yeah. Instead of welcome to the film hole podcast. Yeah. Welcome uh, to the film hole. We're welcome in the, to f- the film hole. Here we are in it. <laughs> Inside of it. And you're here with us. <laughs> oh, geez. So Juno, holy shit. We're not doing this movie like uh, any favors right now. No, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know. It, I guess like I I think we should just like more scenes. Let's just get some more natural banter. Okay. People seemed uh, when they were talking about their past viewings of this movie, people seemed to like have a similar experience where initially they identified with Juno. Makes sense. People uh-huh. saw this when they were about Juno's age, and now that we're watching it, I think you said this that you were actually closer in age to Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner's characters were probably like in their early 30s um that you are closer in age to them than you are to juno and so therefore you can actually like 
emulate like their experience, like the young couple's experience in your own mind a little bit better. And so you start to attach yourself to that plot, I think, a little bit more. Or at least you pick up on things on that plot mm-hmm. than, more so than you did on Juno's the first time around. Kind of. I, not quite, though, if I could just like expand on that a little bit. Yeah. It's not so much that like I have any more life experience with like being married and wanting kids or any of that. But it's just like being an adult, right? It's like what it's like to have a career and like live on your own. Yeah. I mean, I'm in grad school, so like yeah. I don't even like get my own apartments, you know? Uh-huh. I haven't really. So it's like, actually gone not out a, there not, on... not at all like you. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But Experientially, you're closer to Juno. It, it, it's just I'm in a middle point. Like I'm not super immature now, mm-hmm. as I was when I first watched the movie, like when I was Juno's age. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm able to recognize how much like she's a little kid. Right. Like that's just what I keep telling myself for and over again. Like mm-hmm. she acts so cool and she acts like she's uh, really got a handle on the situation. Uh huh like throughout the first half of the movie yeah but really she's like out of her depth yeah and you bring you bring up something interesting because i feel like you know i said i've seen this character in other movies before just like the quippy cool the cool person teenager in like a high school movie if you think of like this show sex education you ever watch that Mm -mm. but you know it's like high school students uh and it's in like england and it's about uh this guy who (laughs) He, his mother's like a sex therapist, so he becomes like the school sex therapist. He like does like black market sex therapy to like his classmates. Oh, it's pretty raunchy stuff, man. It's it's funny. Like you should watch it. It's on it's on Netflix. But anyways, uh, people, you know, in that show act like adults, like they're high school students, but they walk, talk, and sound like adults. You know, uh-huh. and I think that that's fine. You know. In some movies or TV shows, it's, like, fine that, like, high school students seem to have it all together in some form or fashion. Uh But, like, this movie plays that character. Like, it introduces you to that same kind of adult-like high school character. But it's also very, like, truthful about how that person is way out of their league Mm -hmm. on a lot of things. So it, it straddles, like, both worlds. Like, a very accurate portrayal of, like, the naivety of, you know, a lot of people when they're 16 but also like this false sense of adulthood and like confidence. Yeah, exactly. Which I think the movie does a good job of kind of showing you both sides of by it's, it's like the first half of the movie, she's very lies affair about the whole situation. Like there's that line when she's talking to the mom about like, um, Oh yeah. If I could just like have this thing right here, I just like hand it over to you. What do you, uh, what, so, what scene are you talking about? When, when they first meet the parents, the adoptive couple, Oh, uh-huh. Right. Yeah, They're yeah, not yeah. parents. Why am I calling them parents? Yeah. I mean, I get it. But you're saying... I made the same mistake last night. I'm like, I called the the Jason Bateman a father. Yeah, but he's not. I'm like, they're married, so they, they're parents. He's the husband or something. Anyways, <laughs> you were I'm ta- biased because my parents are parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm biased because I have parents. But you were you were talking about Juno's like sense of humor, how she would like, you could, I'd just hand this baby over to you if I could. Right, right, right. Uh, which kind of like shows like where her mindset is at. She's like not really taking it super seriously. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, a lot of that really emotional stuff starts happening with the couple splitting up, and kind of that's when real life hits her in a way that yeah that really affected her. Like when she does like when she was crying in the car and stuff. 
Yeah, in a way that she definitely didn't see coming. Right, right. I've, I felt like, you know, the scenes where it gets really dark between Jason Bateman and Ellen Page, where he's acting like a total creep. I feel like the movie, like, introduces you to that side of him in a very, like, soft way. Or maybe that's the wrong terminology, but, like, it's very subtle, like, in the beginning. Like, there are certain things, like, that he does where you're like, that seems a little creepy, but, like, maybe I'm just being, like, overly sensitive about this. Yeah, But yeah. then it, it, like, starts to ramp it up its, cre- its creepiness, like, over time. Yeah. Like, initially, it's not even creepy. It's just, like... It's not that he's acting creepy, but it's just that the situation they are in it's is a little bit inappropriate. Yeah. But that's the way it starts. And then it goes from mm-hmm. inappropriate to even more inappropriate than the creepiness. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't go too much farther than that. I mean, nothing happens. Right. Which is good. I mean, it's still dark and like messed up that that happens and that's in this movie. But I'm glad that I didn't have to like be traumatized by this movie also. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that like someone said that like catching on to his like weird inappropriate behavior or even being able to identify an inappropriate situation like was sort of a new perspective that some people brought to this movie that they didn't have when they saw it the first time, which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense because the whole premise of that dynamic uh, between Jason Bateman and Ellen Page is that she is unaware of what's going on. Like, she's totally oblivious to, like, the inappropriateness of the situation and, like, his motivations about things. At least that was my impression, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Like, the the scene where her mom is trying to tell Juno that, like, you can't go hang out with this uh, 30-year-old married guy Uh alone. Like, it's just not okay. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, like, geez, gosh, mom. Like, just let me chill. You need to chillax. Yeah. Like, it's 2007. Uh-huh. I definitely was like on Juno's side the first time I watched it. Uh-huh. But now I'm on the mother's side. Right. I never had seen this when I was that young, but I do kind of remember thinking that way. Like I didn't understand the whole like you can't be friends with like adults thing. Right, right. You know. Uh so yeah, that that perspective that some people brought to this movie seems to mirror the development of age between Juno and what's Jason Bateman's character's name? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So I'm gonna keep calling him Jason. Jason. Bateman. So between Juno and Jason, like people have like shifted their ability to pick up on that stuff. Maybe the way that they watched it was like precisely the way that you're supposed to watch it, which is like once when you're 16, once when you're 30, and then for the dad character, once again for the dad character when you're 50. Yeah, you know, I love that. Because it seemed like evidenced by our discussion. It, it's like people really related to Juno's story when they were 16. And people don't relate necessarily to Jason Bateman or Jennifer Garner, but they understand the sensibility of what it's like to be that age. And so therefore can connect with those characters a little bit more. And then it seems like we don't know because we're not 50, so maybe we don't have access to that level of our consciousness yet. But it seems like mm-hmm. the same case is true with the dad jk simmons yeah. character i'm gonna set a reminder for 15 years from now mm-hmm. you and i are gonna do a bonus follow-up episode to this one this was like a question that i asked justin that i've always been curious about and maybe you can like help me think about this too if you are a writer right i think that it's pretty clear like when you have uh, people who can write good 
screenplays to make them sound like real characters as evidenced uh-huh. by like the movie we watched last week. And so this movie feels very well written by Diablo Cody. And she, I think when, when she wrote this, she was like in her twenties. I need to fact check this really quick. What a cool name, by the way. Uh, so she's 40 now, 41. So minus 20 years, 2007, I guess minus 13 years. So, um, 27, right? Yep. 27, 28. So anyways, she was in her twenties when she wrote this. And so therefore she had to write characters that were younger than her, obviously, which you could say she had an experience similar to that, or at least knew what it was like to be in high school, you know, on a real world level. But she also has to write characters that are much older than her and, or maybe just like a few years older than her with the, the couple. And I just don't really understand like not being like a very skilled I don't know, narrative ri- writer myself, how you like step into the perspective of someone who's had one very different from yours, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't understand how you channel like the consciousness of another person. Like, yeah, with, that's very clear to me. With that accuracy. I, I can't do that. I wouldn't be able to. Uh, like another scenario, can you transport yourself into the like life and perspective of a WW2 soldier. Yeah, I, also a good point. <laughs> I do this experiment in my mind, and all I do is I just replay movies that I've seen or, like, video games that I've played. Uh-huh. I am 100% incapable of, like, coming up with any, like, real, original, like, live-by experiences to think about. Yeah, and this is the whole idea with method acting, right, is to get yourself into, like, the headspace of like the person that you're playing so you in a sense like become that person and you know it's kind of looked on as like stupid you know in hollywood right like oh that's a method actor like they're going so overkill right but that also implies that just like good acting is something that like some people just have a gift for or that can be achieved and in some ways it just seems like impossible to me like being able to act like a real person uh-huh. uh, as a character like, hats off to all actors is what I'm saying. Like, I just don't understand how they do that. Yep. Or right. I really like Barry for this reason, like all the uh, material they had. Yeah, Barry's kind of like some inside baseball about some of that stuff. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah. Because, I mean, the whole premise in that show is that because he is, like, a very traumatized individual, like, he has the ability to act really well because he can access like an emotion that basically triggers like a different state of being for him. Right. And I guess that's something that not all people have like as easy access to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What did you think of uh, Michael Sarah's character? We haven't really talked about him too much. It's weird because like in the trailer and in like all the promotional material, like for this movie, it kind of makes it feel like he is like a large part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like he is. Maybe I was had selective attention last night, but like, it just seemed like he wasn't on screen as long as I thought he would be, based on everything nope. that I've seen about this movie. Like, I didn't even yeah. know Jason Bateman or Jennifer Garner were in this movie. <laughs> and they're, like, kind of the secondary and tertiary characters. I mean, that's the kind of misdirection you want from your trailers, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I put that as a plus. Yeah, I suppose so. And, I, I mean, I guess it's also just because it's, like, Michael Sarah, Like, because it's Michael Sarah, it feels like he should be bigger in this movie. Uh, no, but... I definitely think that he wasn't in the movie as much as he easily could have been. And I think it was on purpose. 
because it kind of you know how ellen page's character had to go through a lot of trauma and personal growth and like throughout the movie uh-huh um only in the end to like basically go back to square one where she began mm-hmm. not pregnant doesn't have a baby mm-hmm. life's basically returned to normal and it's only at that moment in the movie that she goes back to michael sarah's character and then rekindle their relationship and then move forward mm-hmm. so michael sarah's character was kind of like this 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 character this entity that was completely unpolluted by any of the pregnancy stuff despite being the father uh-huh and, and i think that's why they did it just to give her so that when they got back together at the end it was a really a return to like like be a childhood and yeah. turning back to her adolescent life yeah it's kind of like the floating timeline simpsons syndrome right where like at the end of the episode yeah. <laughs> everything like turns back to normal i i don't know if like if that says something good or bad about this movie because i think that there's you know the whole point of the movie is to learn a lesson about uh life love and being pregnant and like what it means to be a family you know mushy shit like that and grace made this good point where you know you're right that michael Sarah is largely unaffected by the whole pregnancy thing despite being the father and grace said that like that's just like an underlining of how like isolating teen pregnancy can be uh-huh. because even the person who is like most directly affiliated with that situation is still like basically socially immune from it yeah those were like really cringy scenes like when she tells him about the pregnancy and he's just like oh oh okay yeah like do whatever you uh need to uh-huh let me know if you need anything and then just walks off uh-huh. that had happened but that's what it felt like. Sure. And then I thought, like, if the movie was going in another direction, there would have been more follow-up scenes where he's like, okay, I've been thinking about this for a while, uh-huh. and this is actually really serious, and I'm going to, like, obviously be there for you and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. No. He basically got sidelined for the whole movie. Yeah. And so I, I feel like, you know, maybe it makes it feel a little bit more real for me in that way because it... It, it very much seems like two people who have no idea, like, what the fuck to do, but also don't want to act like they don't know what the fuck to do, you know? Right. Because, like, you're you're pregnant, uh, you're in high school, I think at least Michael Sarah's character was, like, a virgin, like, prior to that. Uh-huh. And so all these, like, really big, brand new life experiences, and basically both the characters are, like, attempting to take it in stride, or, like, act like they're taking it in stride throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. where he's like yeah this is normal like let me know what you need to do like do whatever you need to do when really like you guys have no idea like what's going on or like yeah. what or what comes next i don't really know where i was going with that <laughs> but that's okay it's a i guess the the point was that you just said that michael Sarah is unaffected by this whole situation and i think that the movie is important for demonstrating that because of how isolating teen pregnancy can be that was, yeah, that, the thing you said Grace said. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's why I keep her around. Maybe she should do the podcast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the whole thing about Michael Sarah not being in the movie kind of makes me not like his character as much. Yeah. Cause... Like, by the end of the movie, when they get back together, mm-hmm. I'm like, you weren't there at all for any of this. You basically just, like, yeah, signed off this whole situation and let me take care of it by myself. Yeah, 
I mean, they have that little tussle at the end, right? Where he wanted to like still be with her or whatever. And he said that like she blew him off. Right. Yeah, like that was you, a really funny scene. Like you broke my heart, which I should, I should be super mad at you. I should be like really peeved at you, you mm-hmm. know, whatever <laughs> top, top notch, like Michael Sarah awkward acting. I uh-huh. love that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, that's what he's there for do you ever feel like okay let me use a very obscure reference do you remember in like the rick and morty episode where it shows like an in-depth episode of like the rick citadel and like it's all about like the working class like ricks and mortys and there's yeah i love that episode. there's like a news anchor like two news anchors and both of them are rick and it's like c135 like is the main guy C-135B uh, is, like, the co-anchor. Uh, <laughs> and he's just, like, a, he looks the same, but he's, like, a little bit more fucked up. Yeah. Like, a little bit more extreme than the the main anchor. And then there's, like, yeah, a, fiel- yeah. a field reporter that's just, like, that one more degree, right? <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because we were talking about Michael Sarah awkward acting. I feel like C-137 is to C-137B as Michael Sarah is to jesse eisenberg boom (laughs) right he's just like a little like they're similar actors but like jesse eisenberg is like a little bit more like fucked up oh wait sorry jesse eisenberg is the more fucked up one yes i would say so i would i thought it was the other way around i would describe jesse eisenberg as ivy league michael Sarah. ivy league michael Sarah. (laughs) yeah okay I, but I, I would argue that, like, that also makes him a little bit more fucked up than Michael Sarah. Like, Michael Sarah, because he's not Ivy League, is closer to the middle of the road, you know, the everyman. And, like, Jesse Eisenberg has some complexes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, he played Mark Zuckerberg, like, to a T. I really believe that he was evil. He has no soul. I like that movie, Social Network. Mm-hmm. I like that movie, but I can't stand it. Because it represents reality no it's like, just so that's a discussion for another day but it's just so cheesy i'm trying to think of like other scenes in this movie i could talk to you more about the high school more about the high school yeah like all the scenes that they had in the high school okay what do you think about the lunch scene like where they grab lunch and they just like go hang out in the hallways yeah a couple people seem to take issue with <laughs> the uh the lunch situation is is this just anarchy now or what is this i don't know yeah i get what you mean i mean there's the whole eating in the hallways thing and you and i went to high school together so you know what i'm talking about when like we did not get to choose like what we ate for lunch and certainly like there was not much that much diversity in our lunches and i never noticed it until someone in our chat pointed it out but I was like, oh, yeah, there's, like, cheeseburgers and french fries and, like, some kind of Coke, like, soft drink cup that I assume she got from, like, a soft drink fountain. Uh I'm like, what, like, bougie-ass school is this, like, compared to, like, my Midwestern upbringing? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's funny that that's, like, the thing that we latch on to. Is it because it's a movie or is that just how it is? Because I, like, I don't have any experience with, um, like, I saw I did high school and middle school in southwest Kansas. And that's my only experience with middle school and high school. Is what? Those places. So uh-huh. is the movie Juno like realistic or is it just like movie exaggeration? Well, I always got, I was at like Dodge's high school 
like for something once like so i got to be there like during an actual like dodge city high school lunch period it's funny that like dodge city is like the bigger high school <laughs> like where we're from yeah but yeah. yeah it's like the larger high school but it's a town of forty thousand people in southwest kansas but uh, i remember there being like a bunch of different places like that they could get food in that high school so yeah. maybe it's just like bigger high schools have that sort of thing i i liken it to like the market like student eat places like on college campuses uh-huh. there's just like shit like everywhere and like sometimes there's like buildings that contain like multiple micro restaurants yeah actually i'm glad you brought up college because that's that's really what it is is that high schools and movies look more like college to me where like people are just hanging out mm-hmm. at odd hours of the school day like at our school hallways were evacuated other than like two minutes before class right our, in, in between classes our uh, our hallways were run like a fascist like state like if you were in the hallways while class was in session like you were in big trouble and yeah, then like you got beat with switches in the intermediate the intermediate time between classes where the one time we were allowed to be in the hallways like you only you had like minutes to get from like point a to point b yeah like, I remember being rushed around all the time, like, in high school. I had no time to, like, talk to people, like, at my lockers, nope. like people nope. do in high school movies. There was almost no time for socialization except in class, mm-hmm. which means that we spent a lot of energy and time just, like... Dicking off in class. Not being good students. and yeah. yeah. Maybe if they would have given us, like, a... I don't know, like, an hour to hang out. Yeah. What is the expectation there? What's the thesis behind, like, high school education? educators where they're like let's cram these like very emotionally active humans like into this building for eight hours every day of their waking life and then uh-huh. and then expect them to like not socialize with each other and be perfect right students, you know right if we were to follow that like exactly to a t we would just be like it'd, it'd be like prison right it, Anarchy. it would <laughs> yeah it would be like prison I'm glad I'm glad that exactly what somebody like Juno would say the school's a fucking prison right I remember acting out a lot like in high school for that reason alone just to like hang out and socialize with my friends mm-hmm. you know and like there was a period where you know I've like sometimes I felt like bad about it because I like wasn't being a good student or whatever and now I realize like what was like what was my choice otherwise right just to like <laughs> ignore my friends yeah and like really car- compartmentalize our time together and work really hard at algebra too i guess that doesn't necessarily have to manifest in bad behavior if you're in high school but like uh, maybe it's just like our high school in general but i was definitely made to feel like i needed to sit down and shut up like in all of my classes yeah how do you do that ruled with an iron fist man we're really yeah. we're really swerving today <laughs> <laughs> holy shit you're right it's, oh my God. it's getting bad i'm like too comfortable with you like i don't feel the need to like ask you anything or like no. talk to you about anything because we're just kind of on the same wavelength right now so i need like another person that i can like bounce energy off of i got a good question for you mm. is is juno like a indie hipster an indie hipster How would you... yeah like what is her like subculture like what's her scene okay what is it uh i think the movie actually kind of dispels the idea of clicks in a certain way so i think to me she strikes me as 
like just kind of a generic high school cool girl. I think uh-huh. that those are the people who like evolve into different kinds of hipsters, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, but in high school, it's just like kind of generic vanilla brand cool, right? Just like cool person doesn't really like align to any archetypal social group. Are you sure about that? Because, like, in the movie they do, like, remember that scene where she was explaining how, like, that jock guy uh, was actually into, like, alt-girls? Yeah. You know, the the guy that, the blonde guy that, like, was giving her eyes? Yeah. A couple times in the movie? So, like, they they did point out, like, the fact that there is, like, these different, um, like, groups. Yes. I, I think that the movie acknowledges that there are groups and, like clicks but i also think that it dispels this myth that like everyone perfectly aligns like to those subcategories so what you just said that jock was into alt girls like that's a subversion of like atypical high school character behavior right yeah yeah that that's fine but like like what is juno like i can't tell what she is i mean that's i feel like that's also kind of my point where it's just like some people just like exist outside of that in like the this movie's portrayal of reality oh uh-huh. oh looks Whoa. like we, we got a third person here hello sorry fucking technology me not not buddies <laughs> welcome to the film hole podcast andy the film hole andy why don't you why don't you introduce yourself uh i am andrew owen white aka andy white diving deep into the film hole here in Lawrence, Kansas. On brand. We were just talking about how we All need right. to refer to the film hole as like a place more in our podcast. Yeah. You like entering the twilight zone. Right. Pen- penetrating the film hole. <laughs> no, so Andy, there's I, in my opinion there's two ways to think of the film hole. It's either a place that you'd go to, a location, mm-hmm. or it is a hole in my body, like my eyes or my mouth that I put stuff into. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think when you think... A receptacle or a destination? You put the movies in the film hole. (laughs) Yeah, man. I I like that, actually. I like the orifice of the hole. Yeah. I'm on the orifice side of it. Though, I mean, I like the the uh multiple meanings you know that's Mm -hmm. that's where you're getting the most bang for your buck is when different people read it different ways Mm -hmm. but yeah i i'm gonna say it again i'm penetrating the film (laughs) hole man that's so gross (laughs) nsfw so andy were you watching the film with us last night i was i didn't know that you guys were zooming we were just i was trying to fucking pop it off in the uh in the uh chat and nobody was responding. Some, somebody <laughs> responded at some point, which I don't know if it was like part of your crew or somebody that just came in. But I don't know. Oh, like oh man, I, I I'm really surprised you're not using this chat. I thought they were like going to be chatting it up, but it was really just me talking. <laughs> yeah, man. Under my wife's username. That's really funny. <laughs> man, appreciate that. Appreciate the yeah. Twitch follow. You guys should yeah. follow me if you're not following Topaz Tornado. Topaz Tornado. But. I want to just get this in here really quick to introduce Andy a little bit more. Andy and I are actually affiliated with another podcast. We're actually co-hosts on that podcast. This is a shameless plug of the Good Lord Bird Companion Podcast. Andy, what's that podcast all about? The Good Lord Bird Companion Podcast is based upon the forthcoming Showtime limited series, Good Lord Bird, based on the book, Good Lord Bird uh, by James McBride, where we... uh, uh, drink too much and we 
talk about John Brown, mm -hmm. his life, his history, and eventually um, the Showtime series Good Lord Bird. Yep, which is coming out in August. And that podcast recently had kind of a resurgence because the trailer for that show just came out. We haven't really been together for a long time. It's exciting. It's very exciting. It looks very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happening. excited to hear more episodes. All right. So now that we've got that, that's um, also permission for me to shamelessly plug Film Hole in our other podcast. So Absolutely. Prepare, Hell yeah. prepare for that. So here we are talking about Juno, and we've once again brought in a guest. Uh, so, Andy, was this your first time seeing Juno? Oh, God, no. I've seen Juno probably an embarrassing amount of time. So that was the first time I've seen it in at least a decade, I would say. So, okay. Uh, which is weird to think about that that movie is, is that old at this point. But, um, but yeah, that's, I, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot, actually. So it was, it wow. was a really fun blast from the past. How You really front-loaded your viewings there. <laughs> now I'm going to have nothing to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, we've been talking about this a lot in the, this episode already about the different ages at which people have watched this movie and like what it, mm. like what your perception at those ages means. Right. And so I think you're a couple years older than me. We'll stick with that. Thank you. But yeah. So the, the ages of viewing, right? So this is my first time seeing it. Um, it, mm -hmm. a couple people who were in our chat last night had seen it sort of at like, the age that Juno is in this movie for the first time. Okay. And so how like old were you when you saw this movie for the first time? Or Let's see. What, when did it come out? Like 2007? Yeah, 2007. Yep, that's right. Uh, I'd have been like 22 or something like that. So not not a lot older. I mean, I was, uh, I was definitely well removed from high school, but not um, not that much older. Okay. So high school was still like fresh for you. Oh buddy. Yeah. Was it ever? Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. So did you when you saw this for the first time, did you feel like more I identified with the age group of uh Juno and her friends or for example like the the old the older couple, the adoption couple? Well, no, I I definitely Okay, so I don't know that I would have necessarily identified with the main characters uh, when I watched it at that time. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my question is like, I mean, it, it, what your what is your experience closer to out of those characters? Yeah, well, I think at at, at that age it would have been closer to um, quirky, adorable high school uh, dum dum. Um, okay, but now I mean, definitely being significantly older. Um, and having a baby on the way, this was an interesting sort of movie to watch. Like, uh, my wife, Shay Marie and I were just talking about how, um, we needed to get some, some pregnancy movies in the queue uh -huh. because, uh, because we have a, a bun in the oven and this coincidentally kind of came up. So that's, that's cool. a little bit of a new perspective to that. You know, I wouldn't say that it's earth shattering, but I would say that it definitely, um, hit in a different way. This do you mind expanding on that a little bit more? Because that's a unique perspective that I don't think I've heard yeah. for this movie yet. Uh, I just think the, I think having a kid, which we don't obviously have yet, but getting pregnant is just one of those life experiences that you don't get really fully until it's happening to you, mm -hmm. much like grief or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. So 
I think it gave me a new perspective to Juno. It gave me a new perspective into the adoptive parents and, you know, the desire to be a parent, the Mm -hmm. emotions that Juno was going through post-birth. Yeah, I just think it, you know, there's another another fold of emotions there that maybe wasn't there before. So, Mm. you know, maybe a little bit more empathy in different places. But the same, that being said, it seems like Juno copes pretty well (laughs) with the whole thing. So uh, Juno's a pretty cool cucumber, so. Mm -hmm. Wow. This week on the film hole, emotional depth (laughs) and sophistication. Right. Yeah. I think I said a lot of words without really saying anything, but yeah. Yeah. It It sounded like something to me. Good. We just had a whole episode really about like how you can talk about nothing for a whole movie and still communicate something. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, I just think that, um, you know, I, I think here he goes, here yeah, he goes that's again. All, that's all. No, no, that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good question for you, mm-hmm. Andy. Okay. This is a fun one. Here we go. Um, if you were like transported into the world of the movie, like when the movie started, would you do anything to influence the outcome of the movie one way or another? Wow. Like if I was one, like if I was in Juno's world. Yeah. Ooh. Can you clarify that a little bit more? Well, like, what do you mean? Like, is this like a time travel situation where he like knows all of what's about to happen and he can like, right. And he can change the movie or is he just like some guy who's just like in that storyline? It's the time travel and travel into a fictional universe. So basically, <laughs> so basically, you're saying like, if you were writing this movie, what would you change? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So what? But with the time machine snuck in there for no reason. All right. Take it away. Uh, <laughs> what a setup. I, I don't know that I would. I mean, I think that this kind of circles back to what I said before. I think that there's sort of that atmosphere. The movie is based on like, like I said, like Juno being like this ultra cool kid. And in some ways, I think when you're younger, you think about that as like being someone that's like being really adaptable and that like, she's rolling with the punches. And, and I feel like at that time that felt relatable, like anything you can overcome anything. I think with a little more clarity and a little more adulthood and a, and a different perspective, I think you're looking at it kind of like, does Juno give a fuck? Uh, does Juno fully understand what's going on right now? Like, is she mature enough to really understand what, what's happening? Because the way she's able to switch back and forth between like total like uh, comedian snark and I think like emotional levity like happens pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe from a writer's perspective, there's a little bit of some, some things that are happening there. But uh, I think if I was like, I think if I was like one of Juno's buddies in the movie, no, I think I would have been, would have been right there at her side. Mm -hmm. I I like Juno's perspective. A lot of times I feel like they wrote Juno really cool. where like, she's kind of like this, cool ass kid uh that has really good taste in music mm-hmm. and has like a very endearing family like my wife and i both really loved her dad and and her stepmom but mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. forget what the actor's name is it plays her dad jk but... simmons yeah yeah jk simmons i mean what a badass um, more pictures of spider-man that's all he wants <laughs> right. yeah, sorry andy that was the wrong answer the correct answer is that I would go back in time and destroy that couch before it does the damage <laughs> that it does. 
we needed we were looking for a really like time travel centric answer here yeah <laughs> but I, I mean, I guess that really, you know, now that I'm like talking about it and like processing that out loud, like, I guess that's the point of the story is that like Juno's caught between like these, these two males that couldn't be any different. Like when you have like Bleaker, who is like nearly like in like a fucking grade schooler, you know, like, <laughs> and, and yes. you have like this guy that's going through like a midlife crisis. That's an adult that wants to go back so bad. Like. You know, like, I guess that's the point is like she's caught in between this realm of the well, like not that the dudes are her realm, but like, you know, she's that's sort of the dichotomy of the whole thing is like she's caught in the middle of these people and this mm -hmm. life that she's in and adulthood and childhood. And this sort of forces that. So totally huh. just delete everything I said before that and put that. In. <laughs> yeah, I like that take. That was really good. Yeah. I Grace put that one in. Yeah, Grace, leave this in. I had a question about something that we were talking on, talking about early on, which is maybe you can put like a finer point on this and there's just something we're not getting here, where this movie feels a lot like other movies that came out in the late 2000s and have a very particular kind of indie comedy tone to them. So like yeah. Superbad is like sure. another example that I used. Anything with like Seth Rogen from like around this time. And we were talking like, is this like a certain genre or like sub subculture within yeah. films? Or, yeah, what is it? Or is it like a Canadian yeah. thing? Like, what it, what are we talking about? Ooh, Canadian thing. Yeah, I guess that could be true. Um, I think this is a direct descendant of the Garden State tree. Um, oh, okay. Where I think it's like there's that time period of like 2000 to 2000 and. I don't know, 10 is probably too long, like that whole decade. Maybe, maybe, we're, maybe more like 1997 to 2007. Okay. Uh -huh. um, I would put Scott Pilgrim in that category, which is 2010. Yeah, so yeah sure, sure. I mean, later on, sense. yeah. But yeah, I feel like it's sort of, I mean, I couldn't really like name the genre. Maybe it has a genre. But yeah, that dorky indie, uh, I mean, even the music is like a real, mm -hmm. you know, like that music had a real moment during that time, but like Napoleon Dynamite is probably part of that. Yeah. Um, mm. there's lots of like the really embracing, like the transition of the nerd maybe. Okay. To something oh, that's cooler. Yeah. You're doing a lot better job of this than we Yeah, were. definitely. Uh, I doubt that. I don't. You're, na you're nailing a lot of nails on the head. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. But, well, we got as far as like indie Canadian. <laughs> I think that's that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I think that that's um, the first movie that comes to mind. And I'm, there's probably others like, oh, shit. Like, um, what's the uh, Jason Bateman? Not Jason Bateman. What am I thinking of? Rushmore. Oh, I think okay. Rushmore. Yeah. You know, like. Wes Anderson? Rushmore? Yeah. Quirky. Quirky yeah, indie. Okay, yeah. What about that? Yeah. J indie, Wait, indie quirk. Is Jason Bateman from American Pie? Who am I thinking of? Jason Schwartzman? Jason yeah. Schwartzman. Okay. Yeah. Or Schwartz? Schwartzman. Schwartzman. Anyway. Yeah. That's I a, think that like that's a good like Garden State and that are like precursors to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like this as far as like teen movies, like this is a good blend of like those things and like a teen movie where like it's identifiable. Mm -hmm. Um it's kind of a timepiece. You get like the the um aesthetic of like the time period I think is super strong. Yeah. This Raul, like you'll appreciate this, like especially like the animation portions of this movie remind me a lot of like the Dimitri Martin show. Oh yeah. It has like 
that kind of late 2000s like hand-drawn animation style it's kind of like a kind of like a paper texture thing that was really hot yes for a while you know what i feel like right now like imagine like i feel like there's a legit like subculture that this movie and other things like belong to Mm -hmm. i feel like imagine like if we were trying to like describe punks and we didn't know what punks were (laughs) it's like they all listen to like this music it's usually pretty aggressive It seems like black is like sort of in the wardrobe, but (laughs) what is that? What is that? Did you ever, I sent around a meme a while back that was like this home shopping network lady, like breaking down how to dress like a rocker chick. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. It's like that. It's just like the, like the others like perspective of like a subculture. It's just like breaking (laughs) down, like what it means to be a rocker chick really uh, scientifically and really cringy. So that's probably what we're doing. Juno, uh, Juno is a real master of layering her outfits. Mm-hmm. She uh, textures, colors, layers. That's what Juno's all about. She, you know, like going along the punk element. I, Raul, I think you're so right about that. I think it's yeah, it's like sort of like the the description of what you think sort of maybe the punk kids are. Mm-hmm. And I, this is such a small thing, but I am gonna throw it out there. It's funny that like in the movie, like Juno, like Juno lists like her favorite bands as like the Runaways and the Stooges and and I forget like the other, but then like the 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 music throughout the movie is this like really sort of cringy like I don't even know what you call that genre of music. You guys know what I'm talking about, but like I don't know how to. I like, do. We well, were talking about and it it's earlier. Like, it's like a like really light-hearted singing, like almost child child like singing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I, there's got to be a name for it, but like folky, not punk. <laughs> it's not punk. No, no, it's not, not at all. It's not at all what her her proposed influences are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I feel like with a different soundtrack, but that's kind of what's endearing about the movie. Like I think it works in that movie. Like it would be hard to put on a record of that and listen to it. Mm-hmm. But it like it gives like this movie. Like chi- I think childlike is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like if you put like the soundtrack to that movie is like Joan Jett and the Runaways. It feels like a different movie, you know. It does feel like yeah. a different movie. It feels movie. like more of a badass and less like a like an endearing quirky girl. That sounds like a good experiment. And, like a like yeah, a ooh, like a fan yes. edit with like a punk soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, that'd be easy to do, right? Yeah. You just put on the new It'd soundtrack. Very easy to do. Yeah. Cool. Next week on the film hole, Punk Juno. Punk Juno. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just I have one more thing to throw in, unless you guys have any other questions. Mm-hmm. The cringiest moment of that movie for me is that Jason Bateman named his Les Paul Kimber. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know what the fuck that's all about, but like, well, either it's like a, a really good piece of writing to just make you cringe with that, for that guy, Mm -hmm. or like, just like way off base. You're like, that is the dorkiest shit I've ever heard. Mm. Do you guys name anything? This was always a thing I noticed in like media growing up guys named their cars yeah. and stuff but i don't do sure. that i tried naming a thing or two it just like didn't feel right with me yeah same i i i'm sure that i did i know that i did mm-hmm. but i would like to think that the names kind came out a little more i don't know just like less miserable than kimber yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know if you were to name an object now well if you had to name an object what would it be Sebastian. No, no, no. What is the object? What's the object? And then what's its name? Oh. Well, the name's Sebastian. That's all I'm saying. (laughs)
I don't know. I've, I've been using this cast iron skillet a lot. Okay. So maybe I would name it like Old Greasy. Old Greasy. Oh, Kimber. Oh, <laughs> Old Greasy is appropriate, I guess. Yeah. I, so, well, I'm trying to name a baby right now. So that's. Do you guys I have mean, names? Like, yeah, we do. Um, let me just like, I'm going to throw a couple off of you. Tell me what you think. Okay. Do you guys know the sex right. yet? I'm sorry. What's that? We don't. So, uh, hash brown white. Hash brown white. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what do you think about hash brown? <laughs> I mean, for a girl, not for a boy. Hash brown. <laughs> it's, uh, let's see. I definitely like the word hash brown, but for d- different reasons. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, I mean, it's, it's not spelled how you typically spell it, so maybe that makes a difference. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think you should do Trevor's something. I'm still not that, sure like, if I'm joking or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be like cautiously encouraging. I'm like, yeah, man, that sounds oh, hash really browns cool. Good. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's hard. We we have a list of girl names that we really like, but boy names have eluded us so far. So, mm. so Andy, like, oh, upon seeing this movie once again, like after a decade had passed, mm-hmm. like. What was your overall like entertainment value or like what did you walk away with this time that was like the most profound in 30 seconds? Uh, it was super enjoyable. I think that that movie, I think it has aged really well. I think that profound takeaways, shit, man. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can sum that up right now, but I think it's um, a pretty endearing movie that, is going to be impactful for a lot of people i think for a a long time i think it's one of those all-time sort of like teen movie sort of classics Mm -hmm. um that tell a relatable story for people it has just the right amount of depth and just the right amount of comedy and i think is well cast and just a just a really enjoyable time yeah very well put nice thanks Thanks for uh, letting me talk for a while, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. I will see you on our podcast tomorrow. Yes. Can't wait. Cool. Well, thanks, dude. All right, guys. Later on. Bye-bye. Thanks, Andy. It's just me and you now, huh? Just us. God. (laughs) (laughs) Andy had some really insightful things to say. He did. Way better than some of the shit we said. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything you didn't like about the movie? Anything I didn't like about the movie? Actually, I th- yeah, I, I like Andy's the, prompt of cringiest scenes. This movie has a good amount of cringe. Yeah, I think anything involving the Jason Bateman character is like max cringe for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hate all of that stuff. There's other cringy things. I don't think that that's like what makes me dislike this movie. Because I think the cringe is like kind of part of the message, right? Uh-huh. Like you're supposed to be uncomfortable that's the whole point on some of those parts what i don't really care for in this movie is it's just it's not terribly interesting to me Mm -hmm. like it has some like important like things about what it's like to be young but maybe it's because it's just a girl and that just isn't wasn't my experience it's hard to relate to in that way and so i don't feel like as immediately grabbed by this movie as i would be with other things yeah it is hard to relate to for me too my, my experience watching it is just like, oh, wow, like, look at this experience that's so crazy and radical and different than anything that I would ever go through. Right. I, I think that's just a, a way of saying, like, this movie is, like, it's good. And it has, like, really 
important things to say but like it's just i personally like can't relate to it and that's not necessarily like a bad thing does not make this a bad movie we were talking about like things that i don't like about it but that's like a real personal thing and it doesn't detract from the quality of this movie at all yeah we want to make it clear that trevor's personal problems has no bearing on the final score so exactly my problems are my own stay out of it (laughs) what do you not like about this movie it's like well i've had a lot of you know you know parental issues and (laughs) i I was a troubled child Mm -hmm. i really like the scene uh when they first meet the parents and and just how different that family is than the family that Juno came from. Yeah, maybe talk about that a little bit more. What strikes you about them as being like very cool and unique? The uh the adoptive parents? No, her parents. Like Juno's parents. Oh, I mean I was just like contrasting like Juno's family with the family of the adoptive parents. Like it seems like there's some class difference there. Oh, totally. They're more yeah. affluent. The, uh, the Juno's mm-hmm. family is more, you know, down to earth, working class kind of people. Yeah. And I hadn't really like thought about that when you watch the movie because you're just put into this world and you're like, this is normal. You know, we're closer to working class than uh-huh. than whatever Jason Bateman's family is. Yeah. Jason Bateman is kind of an interesting character because he like was in a band. And so he seems like maybe new rich and like Jennifer Garner is like old rich. You know what I'm saying? It definitely, it, she's like the breadwinner of the family, right? I don't know. Because, yes. like, Jason Bateman had that comment. You don't have a lot to go off of from here, but Jason Bateman made a comment about how, like, one of his jingles paid for a kitchen. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, a kitchen is, like, I'm sure that was a good amount of money, but who paid for the house? Right. I'm assuming it's the wife that's, like, not there all day. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm strictly going off of, like, visuals, but it makes, it makes me feel like Jennifer Garner is, it, at the very least, the more successful person, uh, the one that makes more money, but also maybe like comes from wealth in some way. I don't really, I don't really have any justification for that other than just that's kind of how her character dresses. <laughs> that's probably a fair bet, I would say. Yeah. But in any case, that's all just to say that like that first scene when they meet up together was so awkward. Mm-hmm. And it was played that way, right? When Gino and the husband sneak away and they're just like left there, the father and the adoptive mother mm-hmm. making painstaking small talk. Right. Which is weird because I feel like when I was first getting started with this movie, I felt like J.K. Simmons would like handle that situation better. But he just like starts talking about like weird stuff. <laughs> Like, he's talking about, like, an infomercial with some guy with a ponytail. Yeah. Which is obviously something that they make clear that the young couple has not seen. And I I guess the implication there is that, like, their poor family, they watch, like, trash TV, like, more often, you know? Yeah. And, like, they're just, like, not... Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman just aren't watching that. But it's just, like... It seems like this really odd exchange that I thought J.K. Simmons would not participate in. (laughs) It seems like something, like, my parents would do. Yeah. You know, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to call out Jennifer Gardner in that scene. Like, when he, like, asks about the exercise equipment, she's just like, that's not for making stuff, that's for exercising. Uh And I'm like, get out of here. Be be nice to J.K. Simmons. (laughs) I mean, what would you do in that situation where it's like you say this word, so she's like, that's a Pilates machine. And Pilates is a type of exercise. Not everybody knows that, but like a lot of people 
know what Pilates are. So if you were like, someone was in your house and they were in your kitchen and they were like, what's that thing? And you were like, it's a panini maker. And they were like, oh, like what kind of exercises do you do on it? <laughs> that, going the, doing it the other way is like much more hilarious. Like a panini maker <laughs> is like handheld device. <laughs> what do you do? Like uh-huh. curls or benches on that thing? Oh, yeah. No, it's for making paninis. But I mean, it's, you know, it's the same level of absurdity, right? So like, what would you do in that situation? They would be, five minutes later, they would be on that machine and I would be coaching them (laughs) how to do Pilates. So you would just like take advantage of them, is what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Take advantage of like their lack of knowledge about that thing. To exercise them. (laughs) I mean, that was pretty ingenious what I did, the panini maker and exercises. (laughs) It's like a similar sounding word too. It is, it and is. And both, both the actions are inverse of each other. And a panini Man. press kind of sounds like an exercise. Yeah. What were, what was the, is there anything in this movie that you don't like? I don't think so. I think I really like this movie through and through. Why? I just like character-driven stories. Mm-hmm. Like, the comment you made about, like, it not being interesting enough is, like, t- totally not a problem for me at all. Like, I'll watch mm-hmm. movies where not a lot happens, and that's okay for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just enjoy... I think a lot of the strength for the movie comes from the characters. And if Juno wasn't as quirky and interesting and everybody else wasn't so watchable, that this Mm -hmm. would turn into like a really boring movie Mm -hmm. with like not a lot going for it. But because the actors and, you know, the characters are all top notch. Yeah. I, I will admit that I think I came into this with a little bit of prejudice because I knew it was in that sort of, we're just going to call it the garden state sphere because Andy, I think, put that really well. Uh-huh. I associated this movie with being in that sphere of movies, which I loosely associate with dork, like dorky humor and not so much like really complex character-driven stories. And so I think I had already assigned it like a uh, a role, like the whole movie. Like I think I had already decided it was supposed to be this dorky comedy movie. And it's more than that, for sure. But I was like wanting something different from it than what it was giving me mm-hmm. subconsciously. Okay, Raul, how would you score this movie? I'd give this movie a solid eight and a half hamburger phones out of 10. Ooh, good unit. Ooh. Nice work. I think, that's your, I think that's your, your best one yet. I'm going to give this movie 7.5 uh, Kimber guitars out of 10. Now nah, I want to change it. I don't want that anymore. Oh, I got it. 7.5 yellow sweatbands out of 10. <laughs> I love this headband of that movie. Yeah. But yeah, let's pick the movie. I'm definitely just going to give one another star to El Topo because I'm pretty excited about that one. That has a lot of stars next to it. Okay, I will put one next to Up Rushmore. Let's give it to Weekend at Bernie's. Wow. Where are we landing this week? I I think we have to do uh, El Topo, right? Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by W. Look him up at underscore W on Instagram. That's underscore the word double and two U's. Editing this week done by Grace Watson. Wherever you're listening, give us a, a big fat rating. Notice I didn't specify good or bad. I just said big fat. Could be anything. Big rating. <laughs> Connect with us at FilmHolePod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again. See, See you next, next week. week.
special thanks to Andy White. I think that we should do this more often, but I want to give a shout out to Brady Goodman. What? Thanks again. See you next week. That's it. <laughs>